Uh, this is the second week in our series, Random Thoughts. Random meaning not uh, unimportant. You know, random isn't unimportant. Everything in the Bible is important. Um, it's simply what I wasn't expecting to study while I was studying some things, you know, and other things came to mind. And so this is, this is what it is. Or you could think of this as number two in the sermon series, uh, Sermons from My Distractions. Let's pray, and we will get into the passage for today. Father, thank you so much for your word and the way you touch us, sometimes when we don't expect it. I thank you for the way that you uh, bring to mind as we read your word things that, well, that w- we weren't even sometimes aware of, but certainly not focused on. I pray you would focus our attention to your word this morning. And as I share what you have shown me and what you have touched me with, I realize that you may touch others in a very different way. And your word is great that way. It is, it is marvelous that you minister to us individually. Now, you know the needs of each and every person here so much better than I ever could. And you know them well better than we know ourselves. So teach us from your word. Help us to see you. Help us to... Um, Help us. Well, we need to be encouraged. We do. It's just the kind of people we are. It's just what people are. People need encouragement. So give us the encouragement and the direction that you know we need, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 6. This is not working well. There we go. i got to press it a few times. What do you want to do? You want me to keep pressing or you want to try something? We'll see. Sit there and I'll let you know if we need to change something. John chapter 6, it's page 982 in the Pew Bible. It follows the feeding of the 5,000. I was going to try to do the whole chapter, but yeah, that was just never going to work. So we're going to drop down. We're going to pick up with verse 22, as you see there, in the feeding of the 5,000. Well, when I'm I'm going through this, I'm going to refer back to some verses um, from that that encounter of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So you might want to keep your Bible open. Um, you know, as we're doing that, so you can flip back and look and, and look back on there. This is the day after, which is fact is how the verse starts. Verse 22 says, The next day that after the feeding of the 5,000, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea knew that there had been only one boat. They also knew that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum and looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now we're going to pause there for a a minute and just look at some things. If you see there, you know, this starts in verse 22. The people really expected to find Jesus right there at the spot along the Sea of Galilee, where he had fed them. Uh, The crowd, now when he fed them, the crowd, certainly the whole crowd, uh, would would not have known that this was 
a, a miracle. Um, you know what they, but they did expect miracles from Jesus. You know they were initially drawn by miracles. If you look at uh, verse two, it says a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. When John uses the word signs, John is using that in a manner of what we think of a sign. What does a sign do? A sign gives you information. A sign points out and gives information. And this is what it was. John refers to the miracle. There's seven specific miracles recorded in in John. I think if we look at it, we could actually come up with more than that even in John. But at any rate, seven very specific miracles that he refers to as signs because they were pointing out who Jesus who Jesus was to the, these people who didn't really know yet. It was pointing out that he was the Messiah. It was pointing out and, and revealing to them that he was. And this is what drew them, the signs there. And uh, what now what this group of people knew, they saw some of the signs, and that initially drew them. But what they knew about this feeding of the 5,000 was that Jesus cared enough about them, and Jesus had, had a, you know, enough ability to feed uh, such a large crowd. And so they were coming back, uh, you know, to see him. Now, the disciples certainly knew that a miracle had taken place. The boy who volunteered his lunch, uh, we always think he volunteered it. It doesn't say that, you know, Andrew just took it from him. Here's the boy with the lunch. Uh, but at any rate, they, you know, they, those, now those folks, those guys knew at least that there was that there was a miracle that was done. It's interesting because Jesus sends them out, and afterwards, after they're finished with the, after he's finished feeding the five thousand, he sends them out to pick up the you know baskets. And there's twelve. Each one of the each one of the disciples had a basket, and it's like, dude, we picked up more than we started with, you know. So they knew that a miracle was going on here. Now this crowd returns to the spot there because. They they were fed there, and and you know it says you know the disciples they saw the disciples leave in the, the that there was only one boat because as you read through that account of the feeding of the five thousand, it says that Jesus sent the disciples off in the boat and then he dismissed the crowd. So the crowd saw that the disciples left in the only boat that was there, and then Jesus dismissed the crowd. So they just simply came back to the place where they expected Jesus to be. Now, what they didn't know, what the crowd didn't know, was the events between that happened there in verses 16 through 21. The crowd didn't know that when the disciples left, that they ran into a storm. And in fact, that their boat was almost swamped, they, you know, that their boat was almost capsizing. They have experienced fishermen, and so the, the ferocity of that storm was such that even these experienced fishermen who were used to being out on the sea, when it, even when it was in turmoil like that, uh, that they were in the storm. Now, the crowd didn't know that. The crowd also didn't know that while they were in that storm and Jesus was up on the mountain praying, he looked, he saw that they were in the storm and it says he walked out to them on the water. Now the crowd knows none of this. These, these people that, that came, you know, they didn't know any of this, any of this that was going on, that Jesus went out there, uh, saw them, went out, walked out to him and calmed the storm. What they were doing is they were going simply by the what made sense to them what made sense to them was here's where we were with jesus yesterday we saw the boat that he came on we saw that boat leave without him he must be there and it just seemed logical to them you know now in our life sometimes we come up with some perfectly logical conclusions and we may be totally wrong 
I think what we need to remember, you know, what we need to remember here is the fact that God is working in ways that we are not aware of. He is, he is, I would say, always working in ways that we're not aware of. You see, so our conclusions may need readjusting. What we think seems to make sense may need a radical readjusting. Things happened that they were not aware of. God is always doing things that we're not aware of. So we're told in verse 24, 25 that the crowd didn't find Jesus there, so they went looking for him and they found him on the other side of the lake. Now he was there because he walked out on the water to, and calmed the storm got in the boat and it says and immediately the boat was at at the shore and so you know what they didn't know what they didn't know you know is god was working there you know the people weren't aware of this at all now they could have just sat back on that same side where jesus was and thought well you know maybe we just didn't see him yet or perhaps he's coming back you know, this is where we met him. I mean, after all, that's where they saw him before. And this was the place where he had fed them. The place where they had a great encounter with God. Remember, it's not the experience or the place. It's the person we are seeking. You see, we can attach, we can attach... undue importance to an experience or a place and substitute for the person that we should be seeking. Now, there are certainly places and there are certainly experiences which, which I, I think are worthy of remembering and reflecting on. Uh, you know, and, uh, but to... <clears throat> We need to be careful we don't attach undue importance to those places. Uh, you know, like the, you know, the only place I can pray is, or, boy, remember that time when we, and, and, and what we want is, you know, we want that experience again. We, want, we need to be very careful, you know, we need to be very careful that we are still pursuing the person, we are still pursuing Christ this is what these this is what these men were doing. They went out to look for Jesus. They wanted an encounter with Jesus is what they really wanted. Now we gather together each week and we should because God tells us to in Hebrews chapter 10 he says and let us not excuse me and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now let me remind you, the goal is not meeting together. That is not the goal. Meeting together is simply the part of what helps us to reach the goal of growing in our relationship with Christ and worshiping God together. Don't neglect those times of worshiping together, it says. Not staying away from our worship meetings. We're pursuing, you know, we're pursuing God together. We gather together. Notice what it says there. We gather together to encounter Jesus. And it says that we promote love and good works. And we worship God together. You know, that we're concerned about one another. We're encouraging one another. And this is part of the ministry of the body. 
God has gifted his people and he has given us different gifts. And together we come together with those different varying gifts to form the body. You don't want to hear me sing like Jess just did, but see, that's part of what God has given her to be able to minister to others. Um, the only song I know I know on the piano that I can play, you know, from her memory, I, wait, I got to practice it. Yeah. I ripped my pants, I ripped my pants, I ripped my pants on the barbed wire fence. Wait, wait, that's only halfway. I sewed them up, I sewed them up, I sewed them up with a needle and thread. You'd be doing that song every week. If I was the piano man here, yeah, we'd be doing... God has gifted the body, different parts of the body, in various ways that we come together and we come together to grow and we come together you know, to do these things, being concerned about one another, promote love and good works, encouraging one another. I mentioned to you last week that Ginny uh, and I visit other churches when we're on vacation. And uh, a couple of them just stood out to us here recently. Uh, we went to one and it was... It's, um, the atmosphere that they set up in the sanctuary was very different than than what we what we do here. Uh, their sanctuary, well, it did have windows, but um, when when they sang and everything is dark. I mean, everything out there was dark. The platform was the only thing that was lit uh, at that time, and and their music was really loud like thumping my chest loud they had the bass you know kicked up and it just you know it now i'm not saying those things are wrong what i'm saying is that's different okay that's different it was obviously ministering to the people that were there now i couldn't sing a couple of reasons well they did sing two songs that i know uh but you know, even if I sang, thankfully the people around me wouldn't be able to hear me. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't. Um, now, I'm, again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's different. Now, what I did really appreciate, they just like we do, they had the words up. Now, they had several TVs throughout the sanctuary. Uh, and they had the words up. And I was able to read the words. Man, they were good words. I mean, I, w- I was ministered to personally be, you know, by reading the words of these songs, even though I couldn't sing along with them. Uh, you know, just that ju- it just really uh, th- that was that was good for me, you know, to read through those songs. And we were thinking about that, and afterwards we were talking about it. And I said, well, remember when we went to we, uh, this other church that we went to? And again, it, both of these were large churches. Uh, well, this other large church. Um, it was very similar to ours. You know, the lights didn't, the lights never dimmed or went down. Uh, they had, they had significantly more instruments up there than we did, but it wasn't real loud. And you could hear the people singing the songs. I think we knew every single song they sang. And I enjoyed that too. But what I missed was the ministry of the body. 
See, I know you and you know me and, you know, and we're, we're able, you know, there, there's a connection there that adds so much more. It, you know, it adds so much more than, you know, than, than if, if we try to do that on our own. This is a big part of the reason why it says that we're not to stay away from our worship meetings as some habitually do. And during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people have gotten into the habit of, of, of not meeting together and subsequently not growing together. You know, still, at, at, you know, here at Northside, we have 25 to 30, 20 to 35 percent of our of our church family that hasn't, you know, hasn't come back together. Now, there's various reasons for that. You know, uh, some have some health issues and things they need to be careful about, but some some of us have gotten in the habit of not meeting together. He warns us, he says, don't do that. Be determined to continue meeting together with others who know you. With others, you know, it, I think that's the important part. Of, can, can continue to meeting together with others who know you. It's easy to go to a church and fade into the background. Don't do that. You know, don't do that. You know, minister to others who know you, who are concerned, as it says there, you know, to be concerned about one another, to worship together, to encourage each other, to promote love and good works. This is part of the reason he tells us to meet together. You know, and and now the people here... they did a good job looking for Jesus. Now, instead of saying, staying at the place that they saw him, instead of saying, staying in that place of the miracle, they also didn't just go home. You know, they didn't do that. They did, didn't just go home. Well, Jesus is in here. Let's go home. They went and they searched for him. Pick up with me. Verse 26 of John chapter 6. It says, Jesus answered, I assure you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they ask. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Do you notice Jesus, in verse 26, puts his finger right on what was drawing the people to look for him. He says, not because you saw the signs. That wasn't it, he said, but because you were... The signs, again, you know, they're, they're miracles done in order to help them see that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, they came back, it says, they came back because they ate the loaves and were filled. Now, this group was probably in large part Jewish, maybe entirely Jewish for that matter. You know, this, was, this happened during Passover time uh, when many of the Jews would travel to Israel to celebrate at the temple. And verses 14 and 15 tell us that they, were, they expected the prophet you know, and or the Messiah. They saw these as two different people. They expected the prophet or the Messiah to come. Those verses also tell us they thought Jesus fulfilled at least one of those roles, that they thought perhaps he was the prophet, that he he fulfilled one of those roles, so they wanted to see if he would continue, if it continued, you know, as the provision of manna had for their ancestors. That's what it tells us there. In verse 31, it says they were familiar with God providing the manna to feed his people. And as they traveled through the wilderness, you know, they, they, were, they were seeking another experience. If you're seeking an experience, you're seeking the wrong thing. 
You're seeking that. You know, you may get an experience, but then afterwards all you have is a memory. And all you have is the longing for another experience. And some people, that's how some people think they're pursuing God. They're not pursuing God at all. They're pursuing another experience and an experience and an experience. The longing for an experience can lead you astray because you're chasing a feeling, not a person. You're chasing that feeling. Experience is short-lived. Experience is temporary. Now, Jesus redirects their thinking here from the temporary to the eternal. From man-centered to God-centered. To seek the person, not the experience. Jesus gives them eternal life, he says, as opposed to their ancestors receiving manna. The temporary versus the eternal. Jesus gives eternal life. The, the man of the miracle, the experience they were seeking is simply temporary. You know, following God, following God for them had become following what their ancestors did. They built a religion. You know, let, let's do what our ancestors did. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to follow the example of your ancestors, but it's wrong if that's the goal. If the goal, if the, if the end I was going to say product, we can see at the end product you're looking for, if the end you're looking for is practicing this religion like my ancestors did, then you're going, any earthly religion is of no value for eternity. It is not a religion, but it is a relationship that Jesus offers. It's not that religion, it's that relationship. That's the huge difference for me when I, when I came to relationship with Christ. Before that, I was practicing a religion. And I got to the place where I realized religion isn't what God was interested in. God was interested in a relationship. Now, that relationship, religion should help you into that relationship and help you grow in that relationship. Yes, we, you know, you, you, know, you could say in, in some regards what we do, we practice a religion here as we come. You know, we sing, we do these things. But the goal is not to do those things. The goal is that those things will help us will help us grow in deeper and come into a relationship with Christ and grow deeper in that relationship with Christ. That's the goal of what he's talking about here. That, re that relationship, not simply a religion. Consider the focus of why you do what you do. In your life, in a relationship with Christ, why do you do what you do? Are you working for his approval? Or are you working from his approval? There's a difference. There's a difference between serving and, and doing what we do because we want to be approved by God. You could be doing those same things, though, because you are approved by God. Because you have this relationship with him. Are you serving because you want your life transformed? Or are you serving because he has transformed your life? There's a difference. Are you simply doing what your ancestors did, a religion, or are you or do you have a relationship with Christ? It's not religion, it's relationship. Some follow Christ only for what they get in the here and now, in this life, this temporary stuff. And for some that's the only that's the only 
connection they have for God, you know, and, and, and what we get now. God is more interested in a deeper work. God is more interested in a deeper relationship. A deeper relationship with Christ lasts for eternity beyond that which perishes. That's the that's kind of relationship God wants to build with us. My relationship with Ginny has, has grown deeper over the years together. Um, and, and, you know, not because of everything we have, but because of everything we've been through together. Now, when you say a phrase like that, people begin to, to think that, oh, it's all those horrible things. What's caused us to grow deeper in our relationship together more than anything else is daily life together. That daily life together is what will help you get through those harder things. If your daily life together stinks, then when you get to the harder things, you're going to be punching each other. You're not going to be working together. What's helped us to grow deeper is that daily life together. What helps you to grow deeper with Christ is your daily life together with Him. Not just seeking Him, you know, when the car breaks down, when the house blows up. That'd be pretty big. Uh, you know, when you get some dread disease or something. Not just seeking Him then, but it's that daily life together, that daily life that comes together. Life isn't, you know, life is not always fun, but getting through those times together is what has brought Jenny and I deeper together. Has caused our relationship to grow. She makes me a better person. And and because she cares enough about me to let me know when I am not being the kind of person I should be. And she does it with love. You know, we're not just doing a marriage. We are living a relationship. This is what God calls us to. A relationship. A relationship is what he wants with us. Not simply trying to get more because we know him. You know, life will still be hard at times. You know, it will be. You know, but Jesus wants to do life together with us, especially in those hard times. But it's that daily life together that helps us then in the hard times. Your relationship with God will make you a better person because he cares enough about you to help you be the person that he is calling you to be. He doesn't just shake his finger at you and say, well, do better next time. He has given us his spirit. He has given us of himself to help us and to transform us to be the person he wants us to be. He doesn't want to do religion with you. He wants a relationship with you. This is what he's called us to. They were on the right track. Verse 28, it says they wanted to know what they were to be doing. I like the way the the Amplified Bible words that habitually be doing. What must we do to habitually be doing the works of God? What must we do to make this to make this a part of our life to, to, to get to that point? You know, they wanted a change of habits. Now, that's along the right track, you know, but it, it could be performance based thinking. That's not what he's talking about. Pick up with verse 29. Notice his answer to them. Verse 29, Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. 
What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. To have a good relationship with God, seek the person, not the performance. Seek the person, not the performance. Don't be motivated by all that God will do for you. But be motivated by all that God is. All that He is. Not simply what He will do for you, but who He is, the person that He is. He says, he says the work of God, you know, His working in your life, you know, the, the work of God, the working in your life, it, it's so real that it results in life working out. It results, it, it results in, in you working out and being, you know, from being transformed by Him. They wanted proof, but so do we. They asked for miracles. We asked for a touch of some kind. Heal me, bless me, hear me, guide me. You know, they were looking for bread to sustain them in the same way their ancestors were sustained by the manna in the wilderness and their travelings through the wilderness. And he tells them, he says, I assure you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. But my father, a better leader than Moses, you see, this was something they would have had a difficult time grasping. In their minds, Moses did everything right and did nothing wrong. If you read the Old Testament, Moses struggled just like the rest of humanity. Jesus directs them to the reality of being cared for, of being sustained. See, what God is looking for, what God is looking for is a belief that is so real that it affects and motivates your living. When he says, you know, that, that, it's, the, that you know, it's, it's belief that you believe in the one he sent, he's not just saying that you can nod your head and say, yep, yep, I know it, he's the one he sent. What he's talking about there is a belief that's so real that it affects and motivates your living. Don't settle for temporary. Continue to pursue the real a growing relationship with God. Remember that He is working in ways we're not aware of. Be determined to continue to meet together and to build up one another and to be built up. Pursue that relationship with Jesus, not a religion. A real relationship, not simply filling a requirement. Pursue and look for a person and not a place, not an experience. Pursue the person, not the performance. Develop a habit that is so real that it affects and motivates your living. Pursue real belief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your overflowing grace to us that helps us to be the people you've called us to be. You don't just call us to something and leave us on our own. 
you have provided all that we need in Christ. And we say that so easily, but yet it's a little bit more challenging to live it out. We thank you for those who have uh, grasped that in such a way and, and so real that they've been able to share it and present it to us in a way that we could come to know you. Now, we need our lives transformed and lived for you, and we need to belief that affects our uh, and motivates our living in such a way that others also might come to know. Because it's not simply for us that life will be easier. Um, in some ways, it's a bit more challenging. But what we want it to be is a bit more real. Help us to live that and to live it in such a way that we can not only be an example to others, but that we can share, we can talk, we can tell. This is what God has done in my life. This is what he wants to do in your life as well. The whole newness of the relationship. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what is ours in Christ. Thank you that you love us too much to leave us alone but that you care, you love, you provide. Help us to grasp a hold of a deeper walk with you, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.